All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's so great to see you. It is summer. Does everybody feel like it's summer out there? Fantastic. Who would get your Bibles out, please? Just a reminder, those little cards that are on um, your chair, not just for you to sit on. Those are for you to fill out for the summer suppers for six. Um, for Just to let you know, those. if you're still thinking about leading one of those or co-leading those, please fill that out here and turn it in also. Um, and then is your, if you're wanting to be in one of those groups, fill that out and just turn it back in. You can um, leave them at the welcome desk before you leave. Also, Logan wanted me to make sure that you remember, so TAG, the middle school and high school kids have all been cooking, and not just them, but parents and everybody else have been cooking um, for lunch for you right after service. And so it's a free lunch um, that they have prepared for you, and so right after this service, you can go right out there. They're doing this as well for a little bit of a fundraiser, and so if you'd like to, which you do not have to, but if you'd like to give and help kids um, um, be able to get to summer camp um, for the middle and high school students. They have a little giving board out there. It just has numbers on there. You just take one of the numbers and give whatever that number is. You can obviously give more than what that number is, but that's just kind of what they're doing as a fundraiser to help all these students be able to get to summer camp this summer and as well as all the different things that the TAG kids are doing. It's really fun watching them do it. It's, it grow, the groups continue to grow, which is exactly what we like to hear and see reaching into our community. All right, get your Bibles out if you would, please. We're finishing up our series here that we're calling Life in the Spirit, because what we've been doing is that we're, we've been going through the book of Romans, and we're now in the last section, which is chapters 12 through 16, and those, that section of Romans is all on the topic of service. Today, we're in the very last chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 16, and I would venture to guess that if you've ever read Romans chapter 16, you probably, Roman, the, the book of Romans, you probably skipped chapter 16. Because in this chapter, basically what the Apostle Paul's doing is he's kind of doing these shout-outs and saying hi to all these different people, um, and we're going to get to know them just a little bit here uh, this morning. And, and so when you're looking at it on the surface, this looks like one of those chapters that you can just kind of skim over or just skip over, and there there's tends to be um, several of those types of, of chapters in the Bible. But I'm going to teach actually from this because I want to show you that if you'll dig just a little bit further, there's a lot that you can pull out here. And so I'm going to kind of dissect this chapter here for you. And when you look at this chapter, it's actually broken into four different sections. The first section is the Apostle Paul's commendation. And look at this in the very first two verses. It says this. He says, I commend it to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way, in a way worthy of the saints to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Now, here in these first two verses, what the Apostle Paul is doing is that he's kind of bragging on this woman um, by the name of Phoebe. Actually, in the original Greek language, her name is pronounced Phobe, but for our purposes here um, this morning, I'm just going to call her Phoebe. It's a little bit easier for us to understand. And, and, and so I want to kind of get to know this woman just a little bit, because first of all, we know that she is a woman, because Paul, Apostle Paul says, our sister Phoebe. We also know that she's named after a Greek goddess, which means she was Greek, who then came to follow Jesus Christ. She became a Christian. She was also from the city of Sincrea, which was nine miles south of the city of Corinth. And then she was the one who hand-delivered this letter to the leaders at the church in Rome. 
And finally, we know that she was one of the leaders in her own church in Sincrea. Look again at verse 1. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. If you're taking notes, underline the word servant. That word servant in the original Greek language that this was written in is the word diakonos, which is where we get the English word deacon. And so Phoebe was a deaconess in her church in Sincrea, which means she was one of the leaders in her church. Now, there's three things I want you to notice about the ministry of Phoebe here today. The first thing the Apostle Paul says about Phoebe is that they should accept her. So the leaders of the church in Rome, Paul's writing to them and said, I want you to accept her. And so the Apostle Paul says, I commend to you. And then later he says, I ask you to receive her. That word commend in the original Greek language is the word sunishtao, which means to approve, to recognize, or to recommend. And then the word receive in the original Greek language is the word prosdekomai, which means to accept and to allow. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying, I recommend this woman to you. Again, this is a letter that he's sending to the leaders in the church of Rome. And so he said, this woman who's delivering this letter to you, I want you to know I recommend her to you. And I want you to accept her. I want you to allow her to minister to you. Don't belittle her. Don't look down on her just because she's a woman. And I think about this in our culture today. Because I, I think this is still an important point for every single one of us because for some people there still is this idea that women can't minister within the church, that women can't be leaders within the church. But here the Apostle Paul, he's specifically endorsing the ministry of a woman. And then the second thing the Apostle Paul says about Phoebe is that they should affirm her. They should affirm her. Apostle Paul says in verse 2, give her any help she may need from you. And so not only were they to accept this ministry of Phoebe and her leadership, but they were also to come alongside of her to help her and to support her and to assist her. And I think about just in terms of the application for us, because I think that's our calling as well. We're to come alongside of other people's ministries, and we're to help them, we're to support them, we're to encourage them, whether they're male or female. That's part of our call. That's part of our mission as followers of Jesus Christ. And then the third thing Apostle Paul says about Phoebe is that they should appreciate her. They should appreciate her. Apostle Paul says in verse 2, she has been a great help to many people, including me. That word help is the same word the Apostle Paul uses in Romans chapter 12, which means leadership. Look at this in Romans 12, verse 6. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If you're taking notes, underline that word leadership, because that word that the Apostle Paul uses here, that word leadership in Romans chapter 12, is the same word that he uses in Romans chapter 16 when he says, Phoebe has been a helper to me. In other words, here was a woman who had the gift of leadership. And so the Apostle Paul was saying, hey, everybody, 
I've been personally ministered to by this woman and her leadership here. And so I want you to appreciate her. I want you to accept her ministry as well. And so when I look at these first two verses right here from the get-go in, in Romans chapter 16, I think there's so much that we can learn here, specifically in our day and age right here in America and in the hill country of Texas in 2018. Because I, feel, I think it's important for us to still understand that we need to accept the ministry of women within the church, that we need to affirm the ministry of the women in the church, and that we need to appreciate the ministry of the women within the church. That's what Paul's response here is all about, just in these first two, these first two verses. Uh, ladies here in the church, would you, would you do something for me? If you're involved in, in ministry and leadership um, here at, at One Chapel, if you're part of Team One serving or leading in any capacity here um, um, with, with Team One, if you're in, as a greeter or an usher or in kids for the one or you're, you're ministering in tag, the youth area and the, or worship team or tech team or, or hospitality team or, or um, leading or co-leading one of our groups or on the prayer team or on the spiritual lead team or the corporate lead team, if you're involved with any of those serving leading. Would you please just stand here, would you please? Why don't you look around everybody. Look at these ladies who are serving and leading within our church context. And uh, let me just put my hands together for you all. No, no, Donna. Donna, stay Stay back up. No, you guys want to sit, sit down always immediately. No, 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 no. I didn't say sit down. I'm not, I'm not done with you yet here. Because I want you to know how much I appreciate you. I, I, think, I don't think we communicate that well enough. And I still think in our culture today, there can be a belittling to women even in the church context. And we'll look at this even further as we go through this chapter. But we need, you need to understand that, that, that God has you fully in his kingdom. You're not less than. And so you're ministering, the leadership that you do in the church is incredibly important. And I shudder to think what this church would be like without your serving and leadership here at One Chapel. And so I just want to affirm you. I want to let you know I'm so grateful for all you do. Now, I want to have all the ladies stand in the room. Get all, all the rest of you ladies, keep, come on, stand. All the ladies, all the ladies. There's, a, there's something, there's a song, right? Um, uh, I got all the ladies. I, I want to pray for all of you here. I'm just, I want to just take a moment and pray for all of you. If you're, 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 you're by a lady in the house, would you just put, stretch out your hands? And I, I just want to, I want to specifically just pray over you. And, and so, Father, I pray for these amazing women that you have as part of your kingdom. And, Lord, I just want to specifically release even greater blessing upon them. And, Lord, wherever they've been belittled, wherever they've been felt less than, that they, they need to hide or they need to even um, do, hide their personalities or their leadership or their abilities, Lord, I pray for, Lord, just a, a movement to happen, a shift to happen for these ladies to enter into all that you have for them, all the gifts that you have for them, that they would not be timid or shy with them, but, Lord, that they would be bold and courageous to lead and to serve in all the purposes that you have for them. And so, Lord, I, I just replace any way that they've been cursed or spoken down on by, by negative words. Lord, I replace that right now in Jesus' name with your blessing and, God, your purpose in their life. Lord, I pray that you just commission them even in a special way here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Thank you, ladies. Come on, man. Put your hands together for all of them. So that's the first section here in Romans chapter 16. The second section that he kind of goes into is the Apostle Paul's cordiality. And look at this in Romans 16, starting in verse 3. It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinatos, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andosius and Eunius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelius, who I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanos, my fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachos. Greet Opelus, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trufena and Trufosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asuncritos, Phlegon, and Hermas, Petrobas, Hermes, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologos and Eulia, Nerus and his sister, and Uampas, all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as, as do Lucias, Ioson, and Sosipatros, my relatives. Itertias, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaeas, who hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastos, who is the sitter's director of public works, and our brother Kuertas, send you their greetings. <sighs> now, in this section, <laughs> in this in the second section, there's a couple of things that I think that really impress me. And the first thing that impresses me is the fact that Paul knew all these people and that he could pronounce their names much better than I could. <laughs> but he knew all of these people. There are actually 35 different names of people that he lists here, and plus some other references and households that he includes in this. Eight of those were people who were with the Apostle Paul back in Corinth, and 27 of those who were there in the church in Rome. And so here's the thing I want you to understand. He knew them all, which says to me that he was a people person and he valued being closely related to other Christians. There's this play called The Cocktail Party that's written by T.S. Eliot. And he says this, he says, the reason the cocktail glass has become so important is because the communion cup has lost its meaning. The communion cup represents a special relationship in which people become close in fellowship and yet are most fully themselves. I think what an incredibly profound statement 
But yet there's something that happens, I think, too often when we walk into the church. Because then all of a sudden, we put on these masks and these religious pretenses and these religious shrouds where we have to be a, have a certain standard and we have to reach a certain perfection. So we act like we have it all together. And so we've lost the sense of authentic communion. We've lost the sense of really being ourselves. And so we relegated that to the bar rooms where we have just a little bit too much to drink. And then all, all of a sudden, I can be loose and now I can really share who I am. But what, what Paul and talk, throughout the scripture, what he's talking about here is that we need to be our messy selves more, more than any other place, place with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That that is the place that where we need to have authentic relationships and we need to learn how to do this, folks. We need to learn how to break down these religious walls that we've created so that we can actually have true honest, authentic lives where we bring people into the messiness of our lives, as well as the successes and the joys and the wonderful things that happen in our life. But we actually bring people close enough where they're a part of every aspect of our lives. And this is what Paul's talking about here in these verses. He had these close relationships with these different people here. The second thing that impresses me, again, is the number of women that the Apostle Paul mentions here in this section. He starts out with one, but then he continues on the conversation here. And what's so interesting about this is that you cannot find another piece of literature that was written at this same time that mentions as many women in a positive note as this passage does. And so that tells me, if you want to know the Apostle Paul's attitude towards women, if you want to know the Apostle Paul's attitude towards women in ministry and women in leadership, just read Romans chapter 16. There are more women listed in a positive note um, than any other literature written at that same time period than this chapter right here in Romans chapter 16. And the third thing that impresses me is that there are fascinating stories behind many of these people that the Apostle Paul names here in this chapter. There are incredible histories of all these people that he's talking about here. And I don't have time to go through them all, but I've picked one of these, which is really a couple, and their names are Priscilla and Aquila. Look again in verse 3. It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, this is the reason why I chose to talk about this, where I could have chosen many of these other ones. But Priscilla and Aquila are actually mentioned six different times in the New Testament. But what's interesting about this is that typically in those days, because it was a male-dominated society, it was usually, almost always, the man who was mentioned first. It would be very similar to kind of how we do things today in our culture. We say Mr. and Mrs. We don't say Mrs. and Mr. Well, in that culture, very similarly, you would say the guy's name first, the husband's name, and then the wife's name. But four out of the six times that this couple is mentioned in Scripture, Priscilla's name is mentioned before her husband's. Scholars believe the reason for this is because she was the stronger of the two teachers. This was a teaching team, and she was the stronger of the two teachers. In other words, she was more prominent. She was more the out front type of person. And then here, in these verses, the Apostle Paul says, they have helped me, and he says, they were co-workers with me. And so in other words, he's not just saying Aquila was, he's not just even saying Priscilla was. 
But together, they function, they function together as a team. And I think it's a great example of how husbands and wives can actually minister together as a team. Let me show you an example of this in Acts chapter 18. This example of this ministry of this husband and wife team. Look at this in Acts 18, verse 24. It says, meanwhile, a Jew, named, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. In other words, this man, he wasn't a really strong Christian. He had a great knowledge of John the Baptist and all that John came to accomplish, but he only knew a little bit about Jesus. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. I love that little phrase there. Nice little course correction in a person's life. But here, what, what Priscilla and Aquila did is they, they saw him doing, they saw the passion that he had for Jesus, but he was missing it. He wasn't quite doing it rightly. He wasn't quite saying the right things. He didn't have all the facts straight. And so Priscilla and Aquila said, come, come, come into our house. Let us disciple you. Let us mentor you. Let us train you. Let us teach you. And so this dual teaching ministry of Priscilla and Aquila helped this man so much that later on he goes back and he pastors in the city in Corinth, all because of this couple's teaching ministry. And then finally, we see with Priscilla and Aquila, one more thing in Romans 16, verse 4, it says, they risk their lives for me. And so some way, somehow, Priscilla and Aquila did something that actually saved the Apostle Paul's life. That's just one example of the many stories behind all of these names that the Apostle Paul's listing here in Romans 16. And then the third section of this chapter is the Apostle Paul's caution. The Apostle Paul's caution. Look at this in Romans 16, verse 17. It says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, I want you to think about this because think about all the things the Apostle Paul could say in his final remarks to this, in this letter to this, this church in Rome. I said this at the beginning that the book of Romans has, has every major theological doctrine inserted in. It is the only book in the Bible that has that, which is the reason why it's the most complex book in the Bible. And for a lot of people, it's one of those that's kind of hard to understand. And the reason is because there's every single major um, Christian doctrine is inserted into this book of Romans. And so Paul could have very easily have just revisited one of those major doctrines because they were so huge, so enormous. He could have said, okay, now remember everybody, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't let the devil keep you locked in guilt. Don't let the devil keep you locked 
in, in condemnation over what you've done in your past, who the Son has set free. You're free. He could have easily gone there. He could have said, you, you realize you're now justified. That's how God sees you, just as if you'd never sinned, that you are righteous. You now stand in right standing with God. He could have gone back and revisited any of these major doctrines of Scripture, but that's not what he did. He finishes up this letter by promoting unity, saying, now that you understand all these things, now that you understand that this is, this is your position in Christ and what Jesus did for you, now be unified. Don't let dissension come inside of you. Don't, don't um, stray away from these different things. Don't, don't allow somebody to pull you apart from the truth of God. Promote harmony. Don't listen to that, that one that keeps wanting to drag you apart and separate from each other. Don't be a part of that. And I think it's such an incredible point for every single one of us because you can know the truth and, can, and still let a root of bitterness get in your heart to separate you from other believers. And so I think it's still an important point for every single one of us. It's important for you to know truth, but yet guard your heart. The bait that Satan always puts before every Christian, every believer, is to get you offended and bittered at some other brother and sister in the Lord so that there's division. And you just have to know it. He wants to create that division because when division happens, it splits groups, it splits friendships, it splits churches in part. And so we need to also, here at every single one of us, maintain unity. Continue. Be quick to forgive. If you have an issue with your brother, be quick. Run to them. Get that squared out so there's not that offense inside of your heart. And then the fourth section of this chapter is the Apostle Paul's conclusion. It's just simply his conclusion to all of this. Look in Romans 16, verse 25. He says, Now to him who's able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. If you're taking notes, underline the word mystery. That word mystery that he's talking about here, he's talking about that Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ within the church. That there's no longer this division. And I think it's so hard for us American people to really understand what he's talking about here. Because these Jewish people and even these Gentile people had this huge conflict with each other. Because for thousands of years, the Jews thought they were the chosen one. They were the only ones. that God's blessing was only on him, on the Jewish person. That God's favor was only on the Jewish person. That these Gentiles, they were excluded from this. These were the heathens here. But now all of a sudden, Jesus crossed those lines. And said, not only am I the God of the Jews, I'm the gods of the Gentile as well. And I'm for you. Now there's no longer any difference between Jew and Gentile, male and female, freed and slave. He said, all this is combined, and now you're one in Christ in the church. Verse 26, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. Listen, folks, that's the great purpose of the church. This is part of your purpose statement. This is why you are still here. When you make a decision to follow after Jesus Christ, God doesn't just translate you up to heaven. You're still here for a reason. And so part of your purpose is to make Jesus known in the world, in your spheres of influence, to go into every man and woman's world and to help people know who Jesus is and to help them know there's now a way for them to be in right relationship with God. That's part of your purpose. And then verse 27, it says, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.
That's the book of Romans. And for all of you who kind of stuck with me over these last 16 weeks, that's the book of Romans. And it is jam-packed with so much stuff. And I mentioned at the beginning that every single, whether it's reformation or revival that's happened in the last 2,000 years, has happened as a result of individuals having a revelation that's come through the book of Romans where God highlighted something in the book of Romans and it created this awakening that began to stir inside of a person's heart and it created this ripple effect that we still feel today. And so I want to, as I end this part of Romans here, I want you to listen to some of these quotes and even some of the lists of people changed lives as a result of the book of Romans. Listen to this. There's no book in the Bible which has been so instrumental in changing lives and impacting the church as Paul's letter to the Romans. Most, if not all, of the great revivals and reformation in the history of the church have been directly related to the book of Romans. In the summer of 386, Augustine lost and feeling dead for God, read Romans 13, 13 through 14. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Through the power of God's word, Augustine gained the faith to give his whole life to Jesus Christ at that moment. He went on to become one of the church's most outstanding leaders and theologians. In August of 1513, a monk lectured on the book of Psalms to seminary students, but his inner life was nothing but turmoil. In his studies, he came across Psalm 31, verse 1, which says, In thy righteousness deliver me. The passage confused this monk. How could God's righteousness do anything but condemn him to hell as a righteous punishment for his sins? This monk kept thinking about Romans 1, verse 17, which says, The righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteousness shall live. The monk went on to say, night and day I, I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Therefore I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. This monk's name was Martin Luther. And through God working through the book of Romans, Martin Luther was born again, and the Reformation began in his heart and ultimately led to the Protestant Reformation that has effect, affected billions of people's lives. In May of 1713, a failed minister and missionary reluctantly went to a small Bible study where someone read aloud from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. While he was describing the change which God works in the hearts through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken my sins away, even mine. John Wesley was saved that night in London, and literally millions of people have been affected by Wesley's life. In assessing the importance of the book of Romans, John Calvin said, when one gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. And the famous 16th century Bible translator William Tyndale wrote of Romans, It is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament. No man can read it too oft and study it too well. For the more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it's chewed, the pleasanter it is. The more it's searched, 
the pressure-er things are found. I'm glad we don't use that word anymore. It has been said that Romans will delight the greatest logicians and captivate the mind of the consummate genius, yet it will bring tears to the humblest soul and refreshment to the simplest of minds. This is why we've taken the last 16 weeks to teach on this. And so my heart and my desire and my prayer is that just as these men and individuals over the centuries that God used the book of, Revelation, book of Romans to create revelation in their hearts, that that would happen for you as well. And so if you would, I want you to close your eyes here. because Again, I don't want you to think about anybody else here this morning. But I want you, I feel like that through, through worship and even through, through this part of the service, that, that, that God has been stirring, that he has been working and moving in your heart. And and I, there's always a response that we need to do. I think too often when God begins to do something, we just kind of sit with it instead of responding with it. And so what might be what God is speaking to you? What has he been stirring in you even here today, even here this morning? Whether it happened earlier in the service or what's happening in the last five minutes of the service, what is God stirring in you? Father, I pray for every single one of us here today, that God, that we would be able to hear you clearly, and just as you did with Augustine and Martin Luther and, and with John Wesley and John Calvin and, and William Tyndale, God, that you would do a mighty work in every single one of us that your spirit of wisdom and revelation would work mightily in us so that we can know you, that we can draw closer to you, that we can hear your voice even more clearly, that we can know the purposes and the plans that you have for us and why we're even here in this moment and why you put us here in the hill country of Texas in 2018, that, God, we would know, that we would hear, that we would see it clearly. Lord, I pray for just the release, as Paul prayed, the release of your spirit of wisdom and revelation on every single one of us so that we can know him. Maybe today, maybe you've heard about God. Maybe you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've been to church. But yet maybe there's something shifting. Maybe something's different here in this moment just as it was for Martin Luther, just as it was for John Wesley. Maybe there's something different about this moment for you. And just as these men and women of, of old, there comes a point where we have to make a decision, where we have to put our trust, where we have to put our dependency, our hope, our faith in Jesus where it's not just a mental thing, but you actually sit in it. The Bible describes for us, and we read it in Romans chapter 10. The Bible says that if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is not about what your parents did. It's not about what your spouse has done. It's not about what your kids have done. 
It's not about what your grandparents have done. This is about you. God wants you in his family. And maybe you've been putting up your own religious pretense and your religious shrouds. To me, on the outside, you're okay, but on the inside, there's this turmoil still. Would you let Jesus into that? Would you just kind of sit in that harness? Let him be that belay system that holds you up, that catches you? Would you put your trust in him today? I just feel like there's just a, a drawing that God is doing. There's a renewing that God is doing. Whether this is something that's happening for the first time for you or whether it's been a, a bunch of different times in the past, I just feel like there's a, a, a newness. There's a, a refreshing thing that God wants to do to cause something to come alive in you. New vision, a new purpose. I think that's what Revelation does. It creates a newness in us. And so the team here is just going to lead us in worship again and we're going to do this with communion and up front here there are two tables that are set and, and what we do here at One Chapel is so you don't have to be a member here to take part of communion. If you make a decision to follow after Jesus then this table is for you because Jesus said that when we gather together as often as we do this take communion. Do this in remembrance of him. And so the Bible describes for us that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood for the remission, the forgiveness of your sin. Take this, do this in remembrance of me. And so even as we do this here this morning, I want to ask you, don't just do it as rote, but do it as a, a new step. Do it as a all right, God, what do you have? What new things do you have? I want to step into. It's that renewing your commitment. It's renewing that covenant that he has for you. We're saying, all right, there's no condemnation for my sins. His mercies are new every day. He casts my sins as far as the east is from the west. And he sees me now justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That he sees me righteous. That I'm in right relationship with God. This is our physical action attached to the spiritual reality. And so how we're going to do this is that there's a table in front of each of these sections, and so we'll just kind of do it in an orderly manner. We'll start with the front row. You'll exit on your right. You'll circle around. Just take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then just take it back to your chair, and we'll go row by row. The section will do the same thing over here. So if you would stand to your feet, and let's do this together. I think that's our, our prayer. I think that's our joint purpose. I think that's why we gather here together, why we do these things. is because we want to know more of God. And I want to suggest to you, there is more of God for you to know. There's more of God for me to know. There's more of God for you to know. There's more that God has for you. And so I want to encourage you to keep pressing in. Maybe you want to start back over and start reading the book of Romans again from chapter 1. Now that whether you caught some of these or maybe this is your first Sunday here and you want to go back and start reading through these things. Just let God continue just to stir inside of you and let the wonder and the mystery and, and his, his drawing you just continue to pull you because this, boy, he has such an incredible purpose for you. A couple things here. 
Um, the prayer team is going to be here. They are here to minister to you. They'll, they'll kind of be around um, the outsides of, of the sanctuary here. They have these little green lacquers that they wear so you can know where they are. I want to encourage you, again, just as we talked about, don't let the cocktail cup replace the communion cup for you. Open your life. Learn how to open your life. The joys and the, the messiness and the, the sorrows and the, the, the incredible things that are going on in your life. Let people share in that. These people, are, these men and women are here to pray with you, to pray over you, and to just minister the heart of God to you. They'll just hang out and be here. You don't have to hurry. Um, I just want to let you know that they're here to minister to you. As well, um, just a reminder, after second service, we have our welcome party. So if you haven't been to a welcome party, let me remind you, come back after second service, go upstairs, we'll have lunch for you, and it's just kind of our way of being able to kind of introduce who we are, why we do the things that we do, answer any questions, let you get to know our leadership team, as well as us being able to get to know you. That's right after service, second service. After this service, the tag, so all of our youth, middle school, high school, they have lunch prepared for you. There's no financial obligation. Just stick around, hang around. Meet people, get to know some new people over food. And then if you want to contribute, um, I'm sure they'll love if you all to do that as well. Why don't you grab a hold of the person's hand beside you here. Let me just pray over you and pray God's blessing over you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.